The Start On Demand. On demand. The federal election was Monday night, and pretty much absolutely nothing changed. We are back almost exactly where we started. But surprisingly, I think the biggest surprise is that Loren McNabb was awake. She was up past 2 a.m. Eastern time in Montreal. She was there at the Liberal headquarters, and uh, she made it in time for the show. Unbelievable. Speaking of being sleepy, we had a lot of fun this morning talking about stories of sleeping in. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, September 21st podcast for The Start. And Greg has some special music for this morning. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. My word. What a workhorse. <laughs> You're I'm alive. I'm alive. <laughs> I was wondering, are we going to hear from her today? I don't know. If we don't, who could blame her? You're up on the shift until uh, it would have been one, 2 o'clock your time. And now it's 7 o'clock your time. Yeah, 2 a.m. when we finish our final hit. But then, of course, there's teardown and getting back to the room. And then I, was, I hadn't eaten since noon. And so I was desperately Googling late night poutine in Montreal. And I think I just fell asleep at... I, well, then I texted you guys and said, I'll be up, but I won't, you won't hear from me until 5.30 Manitoba time. Woke up, realized I had texted my friend Shauna. She wouldn't hear from me until 5.30 Manitoba time. So I hope Shauna was happy to get that text. And then uh, here we are. But good morning. We are, man, we are pretty much back where we started. And I think, I think it's exactly, I think if you, I, I, we all should have put money on this. I should have put bought lottery tickets. How many people said, I'm going to wake up Tuesday morning and we're going to be pretty darn close to where we're at. I mean, we the numbers fluctuated a bit overnight, but the Liberals, as it stands right now, have three more seats than they did five weeks ago, oh, but only one it. more, only one more than they did when they were elected a year ago, and that could change. Conservatives are the same. Bloc's pretty much the same. New Democrats, they're up. That, that's it, but barely. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's the same both in the number of seats and with uh, the popular vote. Just looking at the uh, the popular vote percentage in uh, 2019, the Liberals were elected with uh, 33% of the popular vote. And they currently it's at 32.2. And the Conservatives had 34.4 in 2019. And it's uh, 34% today. Yeah. So, great. Hey, all right. Glad we went Actually, through this. Did you guys stay up to watch? Are you glad you did if you did? Greg? Uh, I was up uh, off and on. I heard you live on the shift this morning. So I was dozing in and out of consciousness and uh, trying to form my thoughts and think about how I felt about this. And, you know, I'm just reading the headline at Global News right now. Liberals projected to form minority government. Trudeau bills win as, quote, clear mandate. <laughs> Nothing like starting things off. With a tone deaf statement, like yeah. clear mandate. 
I, I, we are starting off exactly where we left off in the eyes of many people. Justin Trudeau really not getting it. It's sort of like in that relationship that you might be in or have been in in the past where you have the dinner and you go, where are we at? Where do you see things going? And you make a proclamation and, uh, you know, six months later, you reconvene and you have the same conversation. Well, I'm not sure I'm ready for a major commitment. We're still in limbo here. We're still dating the liberals and all the other parties. We're not ready to go in with both feet. You made me think of, you know, when you're in a relationship. So in 2015, the country, for the most part, when he swept to power with this massive majority, you had this huge crush. You're like, oh, I really dig this guy. And then two years or four years go by and you're like, Ugh, like I don't want to marry him, but I'll date him for, we'll just see where this goes. And then he goes to the polls again. You're like, dude, like we're just friends. Like we're, we're friends and this isn't going anywhere. Clearly that's in the where friend we're zone. <laughs> you're, I'm pushing you to the friend zone. And even then this could be acrimonious. I just, fine. Here we, I. But what if he charms you with something like such a wonderful comment and not at all cheesy or schmaltzy comment like this? My friends, tonight I think of something Prime Minister Wilfrid Laurier said as his generation was at the dawn of a new century. He said, let them look to the past, but let them still more look to the future. Yeah, good word. Let us not forget the past and the dark days we have come through together, but let us still more look to the future. I feel like I'm watching a soap opera when I listen to that. Still more? Really? Who uses that kind of language? Oh, a drama teacher, that's who. <laughs> Loren, what did you think of that? Yeah, well, you know, that came at about 125, 26 in the morning as we're standing there listening to him speak. And honestly, if that speech had come at some point in the pandemic, I might have appreciated it because it, I do, I don't mind the words of looking back and trying to find light ahead. And I think, you know, Canadians do want hope and they do want to move on and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Except for that speech came last night when your election call brought us right back to where we all said we would. And I didn't think he'd get up there and say, you know what, guys, you're right. You told me so. Sorry. <laughs> he wasn't going to say that, right? I, I understand that. I just, the idea of using the word clear mandate and quoting Lif Wilford Laurier so that he can then, you know, talk about how he's been elected to a third term. And, and you know, he joins Wilford Laurier for a, as a leader who has led their party to three or more election victories, right? I don't know if that was the point to remind everybody, like, hey, I'm now among the names like my own father, Stephen Harbier, Jean Chrétien, Wilfred Laurier. Hint, hint. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it's basically status quo in Manitoba as far as the election is concerned, except for one riding. Global News reporter Tristan Field-Jones brings us the details from last night. The only district in this province that could flip is Charleswood, St. James, Assiniboia, Headingley. We still don't have the final results in the rematch between the incumbent, conservative Marty Morantz, and liberal challenger Doug A. Olson. Global's Clay Young was at Morantz's headquarters and brings us more. Throughout the evening, it became apparent it was going to be a race that probably wouldn't be decided Monday night. In fact, a winner may not be officially announced until sometime later today. Both Morantz and Ailson were neck and neck as the night progressed. Ailson won the seat for the Liberals in 2015, but Morantz won it for the Conservatives in 2019. Ailson did speak to the media during the evening, while Morantz reserved his comments until after all the votes are counted. 
Clay Young, Global News. That's really the only close race in Manitoba. Winnipeg North has the same MP, like most of our ridings. Liberal Kevin Lamoureux won by a comfortable margin, beating NDP candidate Melissa Chung-Mowat. She tells Global News the campaign was a good experience for her, despite the loss. This is my first run in politics. Um, I don't come from a political family. Uh, I come from the community. So we knew it was going to be a big uphill battle. And so from the beginning... We, we said that this was going to be a two-run go. We were going to build, build capacity here and infrastructure that hasn't existed for some time and, and build on the work that has been happening in our community. And so, yes. Lamaroo has held Winnipeg North for more than a decade, but Chung Moet says she will definitely run again. Meanwhile, Winnipeg South has gone to the party to form government every time since its creation in 1988, and last night was no exception. Liberal Terry Duguid successfully fended off Conservative Melanie Mahar. Global Skylar Peters was in the bellwether riding last night and brings us more. It's a third straight election day victory for Terry Duguid. This margin, somewhere between his 2015 landslide over Gordon Giesbrecht and 2019's 1,500-vote win over Melanie Mahar. And during his 12 hours of door-knocking Monday, he says the priorities of his constituents were made clear. Get through this pandemic, uh, protect the environment, protect our health care, and of course uh, help, uh, help both our ser- seniors and young people. Duguid also believes the falling popularity of the provincial Conservatives influenced his vote. For the 11th time in 11 elections since its 1988 modernization, Winnipeg South remains a bellwether riding each time the party represented in this seat has gone on to form government. Skylar Peters, Global News. Winnipeg South and Winnipeg North are the two other ridings that were initially expected to be close races. Elsewhere, Nikki Ashton remains in churchill kewatinook Aski for the NDP, while the Conservatives held southern Manitoba's rural seats with comfortable margins. Tristan Field-Jones, Global News. So quickly, just in that one riding, Charleswood, that TFJ and Clay highlighted off the top uh, that was conservative in 2019 and Marty Morantz does lead that right now guys, but by 100 and change votes. So they're going to start counting um, the mail-in stuff, the mail-in ballots this morning. I believe it was around 9am. And so we should have a better idea mid morning who takes that writing, but that's a tight race. And there are a couple like that across the country. The mail-in ballot will maybe move some of these numbers throughout the day as the fact that, you know, um, long lineup votes were still being counted in the night, man, do people stay in line a long time there in Winnipeg as well, guys? Yeah, well, and uh, that's uh, terrific because in other elections in other jurisdictions uh, south of us, uh, we saw voters get shut out depending on when they got in the lineup. And Elections Canada made it very, very clear that if you were in line by the time the polls closed, you would be allowed to cast your ballot. So that was great to see. Unfortunate to see, on the other hand, that, that people were having to wait up to 90 minutes or more to uh, to weigh in and to have their voice heard. It took me no more than 14 minutes from the time I, I parked my car until the time I got back in it, and that included a, <coughs> a pit stop. So uh, very easy peasy in the middle of the afternoon, <laughs> Brett. <laughs> yeah, well, I know like, some of our colleagues are weighing in. I think, I can't remember if it was Julie, but some, somebody was in, in and out in two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, and then those were all during the day, so maybe it's just, it was like a, a late rush before the polls closed the lineups in Vaughan, Ontario. They were they were snaking oh. for blocks like down to the highway. Yeah, to get over in. the overpass, and there was hours long wait, and there were some just you wonder who walked away in that and who 
stay committed to staying in line and, and making the making it count, even at that point where they might have known it might not count, right? You have to remember that the, the polls closed, the results start coming in. They're still in line, so they do get to still vote, but they're going to be hearing what's going on. So there's a commitment mm. there that I appreciate. But we'll have to do that differently. If we do this again, let's hope there's never a pandemic election again. Lots of talk about how BC did their pandemic election over two days of voting so that there was more time for people to get to the polls, not just advanced voting and mail-in, but the actual E-Day was E-Days. And so going forward, maybe we need to do some things differently. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. In our next segment, we are going to tell you how you can win yourself a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. And at 8.50, a reminder that what is happening in Montreal? Earthquake. Yeah. Uh, at 8.50, your next chance to play Backyard Bullseye. We have a $5,000 prize up for grabs with Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. Shauna was our first qualifier yesterday. We'll be looking for caller number nine when you hear the cue to call. And actually, I'll just play that again, just so you know what you're listening for. So when you hear that, that means it's time to call, but not right now, okay? Not right now. In the meantime. Uh, you, is that music still going, Sky? You can, yeah, there it is. All right. It's a nice way to, to ease into the morning because deja vu. Groundhog Day, call it whatever you want. But uh, when that music sound, dramatic music sounded, this was the end result. Global News is now projecting a liberal minority government, a liberal minority government. So there you have it. We are right back where we started. I don't know why that makes me laugh. <laughs> Making me laugh, too. Uh, Liberals had 155 seats when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called the election five weeks ago. Now they have 158 seats. Conservatives had 119 seats five weeks ago. 119 is where they stand as we speak. The block vote didn't change at all. Remains at 32 seats. Same goes for the NDP. 24 seats, exactly as it was five weeks ago. The Greens had two. The People's Party zero seats. Some have talked about division, but that's not what I see. That's not what I've seen these past weeks across the country. I see Canadians standing together, together in your determination to end this pandemic, together for real climate action, for $10 a day childcare, for homes that are in reach for middle-class families. That was the applause last night in Montreal, where I am for one final day, guys. And I was just doing some math now, trying to figure out what this cost us. We know the number is $600 million to go to the polls and end up with the same results. But there's about 28 million of us can vote. I think some people might be asking for their $21 back. It's $21 per person, if my math is right. So you can decide whether that was worth it for you or not. Because when Trudeau called this election, he said he wanted... Canadians to say, who do you want them? Who do you want to lead you through this pandemic? Who do you think can do it for you? And he had a lead in the polls at the time, but nothing changed. And the Conservatives, of course, they didn't move the needle at all either. Although in theory, they have more of the popular vote. So here's Tory leader Aaron O'Toole. Tonight, Canadians did not give Mr. Trudeau the majority mandate he wanted. In fact, 
Canadians sent him back with another minority at the cost of $600 million and deeper divisions in our great country. Six hundred million. There's that number again. So the NDP, of course, are part of the equation. When I went to bed last night, they actually had had some gains. They were up to about 28, 29 seats, depending on different projections. So that was an uptick of five. Now they're right back where they started as well. Jagmeet Singh had his say. As we fought for you in the pandemic, when times were difficult, when people were struggling, when people were worried about their future, we were there for you. We fought to make sure people got more help. We fought to increase the CERB, we fought to increase the wage subsidy, we saved millions of jobs, and we helped millions of Canadians stay at home. We are going to continue fighting for you. I think a lot of people like Mr. Singh. I think he's popular in terms of a person. You know how we have that likability factor. Would you have a beer? Which leader would you prefer to sit down and have a cold one with? And I would say that uh, Jagmeet Singh is probably one of the people that would end up on the top of that list for a lot of people. But is it about time, Loren, that the NDP admits that they are nowhere near close to forming a government? Why every single time when we start a federal election campaign do they paint themselves as a genuine option for forming government? They plain and simply are not. Well, I guess it's, you know, they're sort of seen as that party that can provide the gut check when things stray too far one way or another. But they did, well, they kind of did last time and it hurt them. They said, you know, we'd work with the the liberals for a minority government or if it was a minority government. So people are like, well, then what am I voting for you for if you're already saying you might not win, but you'll help the liberals. And so this time around, he refused to say that and ended up right back where he started. So you're right. You, you could come out and say, we're here, you know, like the Bloc Québécois. I don't intend to lead this country. I'm just here to provide for the interests of of Quebecers. I guess you could say it like that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, and Brett, you made a good point this morning, and we're going to talk about it after seven. So you have the NDP on the, the left that are not forming government. And then on the right this year, we had the People's Party of Canada. Didn't win a seat last night. Got a still about five to six percent of the vote, depending on where you look. It might even be higher, particularly on the prairies. And so, do we need to listen to that end too? Do, do they have a right to be heard going forward more so than they have been maybe in the last year? And that was one of the re- results that they were focusing on sort of early when the Atlantic Canada results were coming in. They were pointing to the that the PPC in various ridings they had anywhere between three and. Seven percent, I think, were the numbers I was seeing, but they were pointing to the number of votes and they're saying, OK, so this PPC candidate has 300 votes. Well, in, the liberal candidate is leading by 200 over the conservatives. So if you take out the, if the PPC isn't in the equation, theoretically, that conservative vote may have been higher, but also want to make it clear There is no assumption being made that every single person who voted PPC Mm -hmm. would normally vote for the conservatives because they come from all walks of life. They come from across the country. There's no I don't I think Mm -hmm. it's safe to say there's no PPC stronghold uh, somewhere in Canada, Greg. Right. Like there uh, we because I see the purple signs kind of here, there and everywhere. No question about it. And as we were discussing this this morning, Loren, off the air before uh, we connected with you, also disenfranchised voters, those that may have never voted before, may have been may have been, and may have found a home with the PPC. So I don't think we've heard the last from that group, but uh, you know, if you're scratching your head about the way Justin Trudeau presented what the Liberals did last night, uh, you might be scratching your head as well about the way Matt Max Bernier presented what the PPC did as well.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Right now we want to talk about sleeping in. And uh, kudos to Loren McNabb for not doing so, seeing as she was up till 2 a.m. Eastern time, and our show would start at 7 Eastern time, and that was after, like, what, an 18-hour day for you yesterday, almost 24-hour day for you yesterday, Loren? You're asking me to do math after I had weird poutine (laughs) in the middle of the night and then woke up two and a half hours later? Did you actually get poutine? Oh, yeah, it was disgusting. <laughs> okay, well, good for you for finding In some. In a good way, my friend. <laughs> oh, hey, that's a reward at the end of a <laughs> long, long day. But it kind of ties in nicely with what, what we're talking about here because over the weekend, Greg sent out a really amusing and cute tweet uh, with the caption, Life at Our House, five days a week, times two. And it's a video of a mother mother elephant who can't wake up her baby. So she asks her helpers or her keepers for help and they they nudge this elephant awake. Uh, are you making a comparison here to the Twin Towers? I am indeed. And boy, oh boy, if only it was as easy as the zookeepers made it look. Just kind of a nudge on the backside here. Hey, hey, buddy. Time for you to get up. Come on. It's time to go. Oh, then the baby elephant sort of, huh? What's going on here? Okay, fine. I get up and uh, leave me alone now. I want to be with my mom. Yeah, if only it was that simple. (laughs) So we wanted to talk about sleeping in. What's the worst you've ever slept in? The longest you've ever slept, period. Have you ever slept through an important personal engagement or, you know, the latest you've ever been for work sleeping in? I've been guilty of this uh, at least three times on the morning shift. Once was when I was filling in for you, Jeff Braun, when my phone froze and it was my only alarm clock. So I since have purchased another alarm clock and have found ways to mitigate that from mostly ever happening again, although it has happened at least once with Greg and Loren, maybe twice. So shame on me. Shame it, on me. I, I like it because then I know I can do it. <laughs> you know, when somebody else does wrong, you're like, well. Got one in the bank. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you happen, you can just say, hey, you did it first, Brett. So uh, Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you? No, I've been lucky. I'm I'm like you. I've got multiple alarms just to try to avoid that kind of thing because that is I have nightmares about being late for work, but I haven't done anything catastrophic like that yet. Oh, uh, but uh, much like Greg's sons, when I was a teenager, getting up and going to school was uh, was a, a daily argument in our house. My mom would scream and yell at me, and I was just like, ah, sleeping. And I all through high school, there's no way I walked into that, those school doors more than a minute before my first class started ever. It was just on the wire every single day. And But now I'm more of a morning person. I don't like uh, sleeping past, you know, 7.30 even on the weekend. So uh, I got over it, but in high school it was pretty bad. I was the same. My dad, every day, every day, he'd, he'd tell me three, four, five times, get up, get up, get up. And uh, almost every day from grade 9 through grade 12, I'd be running down uh, to, to Madeline to catch the Route 90 bus. And someday, there are a couple times where I missed it. And I had to, like, basically run to school to Collège Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and that's about, like, 15 blocks from where I lived, so. <laughs> Extra yeah. gym class. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what about you, uh, Loren McNabb? I think your dad and my dad might have been, like, cousins or something like that because the mornings used to start in high school where you just you hear the stomping across the floor upstairs. Then the door would fly open down in the basement. The light would go on, just light on, not even. And you'd be like, yeah. But then you'd roll over, and then you'd come back five minutes later, cover off. Now you're just laying there, cover off in the bright light, but you're like, I'm still committed to the sleep. And then all of a sudden you'd hear upstairs my mom. 
like on the floor again, get up. And so I think the team, like, I don't know what is, I know there's science going, like there's all sorts of things going on in the body, but I don't think I've been as tired as that. Lately though, I've been dealing with, I don't know if it's sleep paralysis or if that's actually a thing, but you know that feeling where you couldn't get up if you tried? Mm. Like I cannot, op- like I can, I know I'm awake. I know I need to get up, but I feel like there is a cement block in my chest. And so I'm just going to lay here until the rescue crews come and then I'll get up. That's been happening to me a lot lately. All right. So it looks like we've all had problems over the years sleeping in Mackling you. Oh gosh, I have too many of them to mention, but <laughs> the, uh, I guess the worst one was the, um, my 26th birthday. Some of my boys Took me out uh, for some celebrations and uh, dropped me off at home. They they literally dropped me off because I woke up at the front door. Um, like basically my feet were still uh, touching the storm door. The inside door was wide open. The birds were <laughs> chirping. The sun was shining. And at that time, I was also getting up in the middle of the night for work. I was a milkman. And I got up and I scrambled around and I was I was yelling at my girlfriend at the time. How did you let me sleep? It's 7.30. I'm like five hours late for work. I'm panicking. I get all dressed, get ready to go to work. And then finally she says, it's Saturday, you idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So that sort of made up for all the times my mom had to throw water on me. My stepdad had to turn off the uh, power in my bedroom so I would shut off the radio. And uh, all the different tactics that were involved in getting me up when I was a teenager. I I finally learned my lesson. Yeah, I'm guilty of... Not knowing what day it is all the time when I wake up. The other day I got up, I woke up at 1.45 and thought, ah, I can go back to bed. It's Sunday. And then I thought, no, it's Monday. So that was not so much fun because I think I lied down for 20 more minutes and said, to heck with that, I'll get up now. Sky, producer Sky and master control. I think I have too much anxiety to sleep in or sleep properly. So I'm I'm good to go. I wouldn't miss a shift for that. Just just general stupidity I've missed or been late. I was like at an olive at the Olive Garden once at Polo Park and I was missing Hal Anderson's show and good thing we were close. You were supposed to be producing yeah. a show and you were at Olive Garden. So I got the breadsticks to go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Cam? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I slept through two uh, earthquakes when I was in BC, living in BC. What? Yeah, and everyone's like, "How could you sleep through that?" <laughs> and uh, and then I kind of felt bad. It's like, oh my goodness, I it's like I had FOMO. I missed out. I wanted to be woken up in the middle of the night by an earthquake. Isn't that ridiculous? But it's like, no, I guess I sleep like grim death. Slept through two earthquakes. Uh, still waiting for my third. So uh, fingers crossed. How strong were the earthquakes? I have not. I, pretty strong, yeah. Uh, of course. Not strong enough. Yeah, not strong enough to wake me up, apparently. <laughs> so here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. We need you to tell us a story about sleeping in for a chance to win the $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. We're going to give that away just after 9.15. Um, I think... Yeah, like I set my my phone alarm has like 25 alarms set on it in the morning. Mackling, do you just have the phone alarm or do you have an alarm clock? I have just the phone alarm and I I know that's a dangerous way to run with all the automatic updates that go up. But I have six different alarms, 245, 3, 315, 
3.30, 4 o'clock. And then there's an odd one at 5.37 that goes Just off when I'm in the studio. And if that <laughs> one goes off and I'm still at home, I'm in really big trouble. That's a loud alarm, too. Like, I can hear it down the hall. Oh, can you? Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's Mackling's alarm. <laughs> it's the hey, It's good. To, I, I set it all the way up until 6 a.m. Every oh, really? 10, yeah. I don't know why. Because at that point, it's just a lost cause, right? Like, if I if my, I wake up to an alarm at 6 a.m., there's no way I'm getting here in time, so. You need a moose. If I don't get up in time, he comes and, like, headbutts the door. Oh, the dog, yeah, animals, yeah. If you have yeah, animals, just, then it's, dude. You're, there's no sleeping in if, if you've got animals. So tell us a story for a chance to win. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb are asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us a story about sleeping in. You ever sleep in for work or sleep through some sort of an important personal engagement? Or if you just want to tell us a story at, at how you marveled at just how long you slept. Like, I remember I slept once for 18 hours after my first all-nighter in grade 11, and I didn't think that was possible. I was quite proud of myself. I slept <laughs> from like 5 p.m. until 11 a.m. the next day. It was, uh, it was amazing. It was wonderful. I was famous for sleeping and being tired all the time. And for my 13th birthday, I got a T-shirt from my Auntie Kathy that just said, tired, on the front. <laughs> because whenever anyone asked me how I was, my answer was always, tired. <laughs> so, so you're like the Hulk. You want to know my secret? I'm always angry. In your case, it's I'm always tired. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so this listener says, when I was in the Army... My sergeant yelled, get up, let's go. <laughs> After marching all day, I rolled over in my sleeping bag. Next thing I knew, I was being dragged through the woods until I fell out. Oh L-O-Ls. That's right. Get out of bed, soldier. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And good for uh, for his colleagues who... Uh, had to put up with dragging him through the woods, right? Because that's... They probably like, why do we got to do this? Because it's not exactly easy to drag a... A person in a sleeping bag, I would imagine. So I will say, and I'm uh, this is stereotyping now, but I've done different things with the army over the years, and they do have that whole hurry up and wait thing. So you'd get up, you'd race to the place to meet at five, to muster at five a.m. to go out with whatever you know mission or trip you were going on, say in Afghanistan or Pakistan when they were doing dart stuff, and then you would just wait around, like just for hours sometimes. Mm. So I would bring my sleeping bag with me if I were him <laughs> next time. Keep those stories coming. 204-780-6868. Chance to win $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. And a reminder, Backyard Bullseye with Winnipeg Final Fencing at 8.50. Want to continue our chat on the election and uh, specifically as it pertains to the PPC because we heard yesterday that the polling, I think Greg, Greg was showing between 5 and 7% going into the election. Yes, that sounds accurate. And we surmised maybe that was a little low, uh, but that's basically what it ended up being. Um, and we've heard from more than a few listeners in the last few days and few weeks about how they feel like they just have not been heard in this election. Yeah, and that's why I think the voices were so loud. It, you know, yes, there's that vaccine mandate question. People are upset about restrictions. But there is part of those who are leaning towards the PPC that are just saying, hello, I'm done with you. I'm going over here. And we had a listener text just yesterday to talk about the fact that he had never voted before. And then what drove him to the polls yesterday, Greg, was the fact that he was done with 
Trudeau and done with some of these things we've seen in the pandemic. And so he was going over to the PPC. That's who spoke to him. Yeah. So that party didn't win a seat last night, but they did get about, as you mentioned, Brett, about five to six percent of the popular vote. That's triple what they received last time. Here's PPC leader Maxime Bernier. They have to start paying attention because thousands of Canadians were coming to our rallies all across the country. Everywhere we looked, you could see purple, a purple wave, a sea of purple. My friends, this is not just a political party. It is a movement. It is an ideological revolution that we are starting now. So whether that sticks around, I think that's the question I have this morning, that feeling that people have. Is that something that's long-term lingering? Will that go months, years ahead? You know, the PPC last night, there were some counts that said suggested they did impact Many ridings, as, as many as 20, 22 ridings where they might have split the vote for the Conservatives and, and might have prevented the Conservatives from having a very different result. So in the end, no wins for the PPC, Greg. But now I'm wondering, you know, that anger that we heard, a lot of it was centered around the pandemic. Yes, there was anti-Trudeau. There's other parts of that movement. There's some people who are wishing this group would go away and never come back again. But I don't know if they can be discounted right now or people who are feeling this way can be discounted when that concern and frustration is so top boiling over. Well, you know, and I think this is where I'm happy that Canada has the system it has in terms of multiple parties and different places for people to live politically and to put their votes versus just uh, an either or option like we see in the United States. And perhaps the good news out of this is that as for divided as Canada is politically as we speak, it might feel more so than ever. We aren't all that more dramatically divided as a country as we were two years ago, at least as the political map and the map and the seats in the House of Commons would suggest. And that's with what many saw as that solid alternative to the Conservative Party of Canada in the PPC, Brett. Yeah, and it's... Uh it was interesting watching the results. We mentioned this last half hour, but in case you're just tuning in, and I, I didn't see the entire thing. I had to, ch- I checked out at 8.30. I'm sorry, Lorraine. I missed your second hit by 12 minutes. I missed your you first missed one. I did. I went back and listened to them, though. I was funny on hit three. I listened That's- to it. Yeah. <laughs> It was good. Or maybe it was hit six. I'm just joking. Oh, there's right. only so there's only so much fun you can have when you're standing on a stage and there's zero party going on around. You. How much? Uh, how many hits did you end up doing on TV? I, I don't. Um, I think six or seven. Oh wow. Okay, so I missed all the fun. Yeah, I checked out way too early, but there was there was fun in quotes. <laughs> there wasn't much going on, uh, so I thought, ah, oh, I can't. I'm just I'm tired. I stayed up all day binging through Ted Lasso. So sorry. I, I meant to go home, take a nap, and then stay up and watch the election. But Ted Lasso, uh, I was seduced by just how good that show is. But anyway, uh, they kept pointing in when the results were coming in in Atlantic Canada, pointing to how in this riding the PPC candidate only had five or six percent. But it was enough to make up for a few hundred votes. And the conservative candidate was only behind the liberal candidate by two, three, four hundred votes. So I think that the PPC definitely, even though they didn't get a seat, even though they didn't have a huge chunk of the popular vote, they had a huge, I think, well, they had an impact on this election. And who knows what would have happened if the PPC was not in there. And I'm not 
stating like some sort of a wish uh, for it. It's just interesting to see how some of the landscape is changing. Greg. Yeah, statistical analysis, right? You, you make those conclusions and you draw them based on what you see, what you know, and what's happening. And uh, yeah, I think if there were only three options... Things might be uh, very different this morning. Richard Cluche joins us at 7.37 with a closer look at what happened in Manitoba. Uh, and I'll just quickly read this. Uh, well, Loren, you put a couple of texts in here. Why don't you just read uh, a couple of these if you want? Well, just diverging points, right? So one person texted to say this morning, the PPC has a right to be heard. It's safe to say all PPC voters don't want Trudeau. So the logical move would have been to vote conservative. He says, sorry, but they sort of ruined our country. That's their perspective. So they moved to PPC. Well, another text to say, I'm very concerned that the irrational populist vote in southern Manitoba garnered close to 20,000 votes for the PPC. And they put a whole host of question marks behind that. So, you know, we talk about division. There is a split there between understanding what everyone's thinking in and around how they think ideologically or just how they're feeling when they wake up this morning. You know, our motions yesterday, what are they today? Brian, with a great sleeping in story, I salute this effort here. Brian says, 25 years ago, I was a party hound. Well, one weekday, I wake up at 2.30 p.m. when my start time at work was (laughs) 7 a.m. Oh, boy. (laughs) I was working at a trucking company in the yard. My first instinct was to call the general manager, which I did. When I asked, should I still come in tomorrow, she asked why. My response was, I thought I would be fired. She told me she didn't even know I was absent. Oh, <laughs> so no. People must have been covering for me. Oh, Brian outed himself. <laughs> Good for him. How many people would have tried to cover it with some insane, like my cat fell down the stairs and I took them to the ER and then, you know, like some ridiculous story? Good point. Good point. Well, cats always land on their feet. So that was a bad example. <laughs> that happened to me once where uh, I had to give an excuse and I don't think my instructor bought it. I was late for my TV class at uh, Creative Communications in Red Red River second year. And um, I was late because as I was putting racing to put on my jacket in the kitchen when I was still living at home, the sleeve of my jacket knocked off one of the light fixtures in the kitchen, and it shattered into a billion pieces. Oh boy! And, and and we had a dog. Like I couldn't, I couldn't leave that mess. Fair. Uh, so I had to quickly clean it up. So I was. It took me about five minutes to clean up. I was about five minutes late for class, and I tried to. I phoned him ahead of time, left him a voicemail, told him what, what's happening. I said, "Dean, I'm on my way." I, and I showed up. The door was closed and locked. I no, knocked on the no. door, and he says, if you can't make it to class on time, don't bother coming. Ooh. And he just slammed the door in my face. Holy wow. I was like, oh, All right. Okay. Dean, thanks for the lack of compassion there, buddy. Hey. <laughs> Dean, that's intense. <laughs> what, what's Is Dean, Dean still what, around? I was yeah. going to say, what's he's, Dean doing now? <laughs> he's still there. He, <laughs> no, he taught me a valuable lesson. Just get up earlier so that if you break something before you walk out the door, <laughs> you won't be late. Fair enough. Well, he'd hate me. He'd have the studio door locked all the time as I break stuff in the hallway. <laughs> Here, Loren oh. clomping down the hall in her Sorrells. I'm coming! I'm coming! <laughs> I just want to quickly read this text, though, from Dan. 
Uh, in response to the text we read last half hour about sleeping in, about the guy who said when he was in the Army, Sergeant told him to get up, and I guess he didn't get up, so they dragged him through the woods in his sleeping bag until he fell out. Well, Dan <laughs> says, number one sleeping rule in the Army, if you aren't doing anything, you should be sleeping, which in turn means when in doubt, rack out. I like that. When in doubt, rack out. That's a T-shirt. Yep. Get tired on your T-shirt, Macklin. That's what <laughs> Holy you Holy crow. We've got a real collection uh, of T-shirts that we should be producing. Uh, Brett, you caught me racking out here. What was it, Thursday afternoon? Maybe, uh, well, it wasn't even afternoon last week. Yeah. It was about, what, about 1130. I was, I was done. I needed a little bit of a snoozy. Yeah, I knocked on the door just to, to check in with Greg, and the, <laughs> the lights are out, and he's on the ground on his back. No, I'm like, what's going on? on a chair. Yeah, oh, no, lying on the floor. Yep, head on my backpack. Yep, it was very, very comfortable. Yeah, you looked comfy. I felt the. Did it wake you up? You likely did, but that's okay. All right, I shouldn't have been sleeping at work anyway. <laughs> well, hey, so sorry, we, boss. Have we talked about that before, Brett. I think we have. Where the weirdest places you fall asleep? I like. I've, I'm not on a couch or bed. I don't think I can do it. Oh, really? Maybe an airplane, Amateur. like with that nice. I like to lay, like I like to get on the plane. This is going to happen today, where my jaw will drop, and you know your mouth is gaping open, but you just don't care. <laughs> That's happening in about eight hours' time. All right, so keep those texts coming for a chance to win twenty dollars gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. A sleeping in story, but in the meantime, Manitobans lined up at the polls to vote in the twenty twenty one Canada election after a whirlwind campaign. Amid a global pandemic, and the results were familiar. Familiar to say the least. At 9.35 last evening, Global News projected the Liberal government to win and called a Liberal minority about 20 minutes later. Incumbent Conservative MPs were declared winners early in the evening in Manitoba, including Candace Bergen and Portage Lisgar. Dan Mazier and Dauphin Swan River Nipawa, James Bazan and Selkirk Interlake, and Larry McGuire and Brandon Suris. Raquel Danko uh, took uh, Kildon and St. Paul, and conservative incumbent Ted Falk, who apologized during the campaign for spreading COVID 19 misinformation, won his seat in Provence, Brett. Other results included Daniel Blakey reclaiming Elmwood Transcona for the NDP. Leah Gazan won back her Winnipeg center seat, as well as Nikki Ashton returning as MP for Manitoba's largest riding, geographically speaking. And that's Churchill Kiwatnook Askey. Liberal Dan Vandal returns as MP for St. Boniface St. Vitale, as do Liberals Terry Duguid in Winnipeg South and Kevin Lamro in Winnipeg North. Okay, so there's still one riding left to be decided, and this doesn't often happen. Sometimes the votes are too close to call, and sometimes there's a mail-in factor like we might have this time around as well. Charleswood, St. James, Assiniboia, Headingley. Is that the longest riding name we have in province? That's a lot. Where liberal Dougie Olfson is taking on incumbent Marty Morantz with the Conservatives. Richard Cloutier joins us now. How are you doing, Rich? Did you stay up late? Uh, I did not. Uh, as <laughs> soon as I determined, we determined that this was the same result again, I went into a nice slumber, unlike the, the three of you. Uh, Charleswood, yeah, it's tight. We should find out later this morning on the mail-in results. Uh, again, whether or not Eolfson uh, takes it back from Marty Morantz, that's the only interesting factor in um, an election that clearly Canadians uh, told their government get back to work. Uh, and while there are a lot of commentators, guys, saying that, you know, this is a divided country, Canada has been a divided country since its inception. And you have uh, urban rural divisions, you have uh, gender divisions, you have age divisions, 
you have regional divisions. And I think it's highlighted in this and continues to be highlighted. In the last 20 years, we're seeing more minority than majority governments. And that's because, um, you know, the grand old Liberal Party and its success over the years was to be able to build coalitions, bridging those regions, bridging urban and rural. They can no longer do that. And same thing with the Conservatives. The Conservatives under Brian Mulroney were able to, when they were the progressive Conservatives, build that coalition in in Quebec, which gave, again, rise to the bloc. So when we talk about, you know, Canada, we have to assume that this is a divided nation and only rarely will, reader, will leaders be able to um, get across uh, something to Canadians that will make them park their vote elsewhere. And I think this election just shows just how grounded Canadians are in their political choices. And the message to the Prime Minister and others is just get back to work. And uh, yeah, we spent $610 million on this, but please get back to work. Let's solve the problems and let's get through the pandemic. You know, you mentioned all that regional uh, discourse and the divide regionally that we've seen. I can remember when Lloyd Axworthy was the only non-conservative uh, MP uh, west of the Ontario-Manitoba border back in the yeah. day. And so we've seen that before, but I don't know if you could vote as strategically. You know how when you're golfing sometimes and, and your drive lands exactly where you want it, you couldn't walk it out better if you tried. Canadians couldn't have planned this out better. It would have been impossible to do this. This is really the, the government I think Canadians want, Richard. Well, it, it, I think we're still settling. I, the, the Prime Minister was not able to seal the deal and tell us why we needed an election. He didn't ask for a specific mandate. Um, the Conservatives, and early in the campaign, people were really seriously looking at Aaron O'Toole. They couldn't seal the deal with Canadian voters, so then we settle back into the same patterns. Manitoba is a really good example of the rest of Canada. We've got urban areas, suburban areas that flip between the Liberals and the Conservatives. We've got uh, key court areas that, uh, because of economic disparity, tend to go to the NDP. You see the same thing in northern Manitoba. And outside in rural Manitoba, that's where the Conservatives thrive. We see that right across Western Canada. So we go back to our own entrenched ways, and every once in a while, We'll see tight races um, and we'll see races that produce different results. But yeah, this is essentially we are getting what we deserve and we deserve this because we clearly do not want to send anybody with a massive mandate to Ottawa. We're going to keep them on a short leash and we expect the, the prime minister to get us through this pandemic and not to be as spendthrift as before, but to spend the money that needs to occur to get us through the pandemic. Now, if you were a betting man, when's the next election going to take place? Uh, not for at least a couple of years. I think it'll be interesting, guys, to see whether or not we stick with these leaders. Um, I don't think they go anywhere at this point. I think Aaron O'Toole did well enough that he gets another kick at the time, uh, at the can. Jagmeet Singh, same thing. You know, will Justin Trudeau get tired? Will there be a movement? Uh, there doesn't seem to be a natural leader in the wings um, of the Liberal Party. So, you know, uh, usually minority governments last about two years. But until the lesson in this for the Liberals is you don't go back to the polls unless you have a real reason to ask for a mandate from Canadians. Otherwise, you make it work. And, um, you know, European parliaments make it work. 
we're starting to see more and more evidence of that in Canada now. He did have a real reason, didn't he? <laughs> well, he wanted a majority. I'm being sarcastic. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. I know. 680 CGOB's Richard Cloutier is on the news this afternoon from 3 until 6, and he'll be hosting the national show uh, starting at 9 o'clock tonight on 680 CJOB. So, uh, yeah, between Cloutier and McNabb, uh, you know, I like to think, GMAC, that I've got a pretty decent work ethic, but then with the two of them around, it's just like I don't even try anymore. I just... There's no point. The white flag. <laughs> Give me a break. You guys work just as hard. That's enough. I'm tired. I didn't of work line. 23 hours yesterday. I oh, feel like this is your shtick. You did. You did in other ways. Well, unless you can't. I'm gonna make a list and send as, you the other ways. Homework, and then I was. You could call that couch potatoes homework. So yeah, I suppose. homework for your soul. That's homework for your soul, buddy. <laughs> We're asking you to text us about sleeping in for a chance to win a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. Crystal with an impressive snooze. Crystal says, when I was a teenager, I came home from work really tired, so I ate supper and I just went to bed at 6 p.m. My mom woke me up at 4 o'clock the next afternoon. Oh, 22 hours solid. I love it. Way to go, Crystal. And again, Greg, see, it's just further evidence. Your growing boys need more sleep than you do. And I understand that. I'm just trying to get them to understand that when they get that sleep is important in order for them to function in a society. You know, just because you want to start school at 1030 in the morning doesn't mean that's when it begins. You know, like the 810 <laughs> bell is a reality. And if you don't want to sleep through it and be late every single day, you're going to have to shift when you go, well, I don't want to go to bed at 9 o'clock. I'm not a baby, you know. Well, you got to make different choices, man. I'm trying to help you. Keep those. <laughs> that's solid. Keep those texts coming at 204-780-6860. For a chance to win that pizza gift card, we'll give it away just after 9.15. But in the meantime... Lots of speeches made last night, but no real interviews with the federal leaders. In about 30 minutes' time, we're going to check in with Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, looking very much uh, like John King last night uh, from CNN. He's doing a great job in front of that map. Uh, we're going to talk to him to find out what the first, what's the first question he would like to ask the Prime Minister, Loren, after this $600 million campaign. Uh, same one that they've been asking all along. Why? I think is the, wh wh why did we do this again? That might be the question that gets asked. Did you get what you wanted? Are you staying on? There's all sorts of things that he could be asked. But I thought of you last night, Brett, when I saw this Twitter, or rather, I guess it was this morning around 4 a.m. You know how sometimes when the boss calls a meeting and you go down the hall in the before times and you sit in that boardroom and then at the end of it, you're like, sorry, why am I still here? Well, I'm an yeah, every time. tweeted last night. Yeah. So Ahmed Ali tweeted last night, this election could have been an email. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think that's perfectly put. Uh, many of us feeling that way this morning. Yeah, just send out a By the way, we had an election yesterday and uh, things went exactly as they went two years <laughs> ago. Mary Agnes Welsh is a partner with Probe Research. And yesterday, Mary Agnes, we spoke to you about how it was going to be a long night. However, the results are fairly clear for the most part, with the exception of a few ridings here and there, including one here in Winnipeg. 
Yep, totally. Man, I was like all prepared, snacks and beer, and I was kind of in bed by 11. And that was a bit shocking. I think we thought this was going to be more of a riding-by-riding dogfight, but it became pretty clear, as it kind of sometimes does in Canadian elections, sort of after, you know, Ontario was kind of starting to roll in, that this was pretty clearly, um, you know, not much has changed, status quo, liberal, you know, minority again. Um, and so, yeah, so yeah, I was, I, I'm a little more refreshed this morning than I thought I would be. You're more refreshed than you thought you'd be like, as in you went to bed earlier because you just said, yeah. oh, the heck with this. Yeah, and I thought there's there's going to be a few writings that I'm really interested in, Charles with St. James being the big one, that probably will come down to those mail-in ballots as exactly as happened. But And there's a few in B.C. still, so the numbers aren't 100% firm. But, yeah, this was this is pretty clearly, you know, um, yeah, a very much a status quo election, which does raise a lot of questions about, you know, first, yeah, why did we do this? I'm one of those people that thinks, you know, I'm a bit of a Pollyanna about it, so I, I want people to have a chance to weigh in and cast their ballot, um, you know, but I, I think you sort of look at that map and you think, man, we are kind of a, a bit of a polarized country at this point. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't quite know how, where we go from here. I think we might have lost Loren, uh, Mary Agnes, so I'll jump in here. You know, you say this with regard to divided, but also I think that map is super reflective of where we're at. And I was expressing earlier my gratefulness for the fact that there are four, five, six, sometimes seven options, uh, depending on which riding you, you live in, versus just uh, the binary options of, of, of red candidate or blue candidate like we see in the United States. Yep, that's, that's true. Um, I think the flip side to that, though, is that many of those, um, you know, sort of third and fourth and fifth parties aren't likely to form government. And their power is, you look at that map and the NDP's power, for example, is sort of like B.C. coast and northern Ontario, northern, you know, northern Manitoba. And then there's this the, the, blo- the blue block. Um, and we, you know, we, and then that, that very blue western Canada um, and so I think, you know, I, I think, I think it does, it does, it does make you wonder if we are going to be in an era of minority parliaments, which Canadians clearly are comfortable with, and which frankly work, I think, better than we than we might have thought, you know, a decade ago when we started on this minority parliament kind of trend. Loren, are you there? I am, yes, and I apologize. I want to ask one question because I am downtown Montreal, and I feel like everybody started using the internet at the same time or something. So Mary Agnes, I just wanted to ask you reference being comfortable with minority governments. So is that just sort of, you know, is that a reflection on our choices and the fact that we might not like the choices or we like it just fine and we don't mind that we come back to this? Yeah, I think it's partly that we are increasingly comfortable with minorities and we think they, they work pretty well. But the, the thing is, though, I don't think voters go to the polls and say, I want a minority, so I'm going to vote this way. I think that this map and our, the, the function of our minority situation now is more a kind of a reflection of our regionalization. You know, the West is its thing. Quebec is its thing. The North is its thing. Urban Canada is its own thing, tends to vote sort of much more liberal. Um, Atlantic Canada is a bit more liberal. And I think it's, I think that minority status is more a function of this kind of regionalization that's happened um, a lot in Canada, I think, in the last few years. Mary Agnes Welch, partner with Probe Research, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much uh, for visiting us once again this morning. We appreciate the time. My pleasure.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Reminder that next half hour, we are giving away a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. Based on your sleeping in stories, Adam going the opposite direction, saying sleeping, sleeping in, more of the lack thereof. Longest I went without having to sleep was uh, a 34-hour shift around the clock as an electrician for an emergency. When I hear of people working as long as they do, like like healthcare workers pulling these double, triple shifts, uh, yep, I I just tap out. I think I would just curl up on the floor and die. And, and think about what the jobs that they're doing are, right? So some medical professionals work those twenty four hour jobs, and then they're uh, they're uh, injecting stuff, they're putting needles in, they're also doing IVs, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm just finishing. Lorenz thought arbitrarily here and uh, electrician. Yeah. Hello. That's the job you want to be doing on zero sleep and up for 34 straight hours. I don't think so. So keep your text messages coming for a chance to win that $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia pizza. And in our next segment, we are going to look for our next qualifier for backyard bullseye with Winnipeg vinyl fencing. You get to take a shot and guess the secret backyard bullseye number between 1 and 680. And by the end of the week, the caller who is closest to the bullseye is the first of two qualifiers to win this amazing backyard package worth $5,000 from Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. Yesterday's qualifier was Shauna, and she guessed 577. So if you get closer to her, then you push her off the fence. Right now, she's on the fence. It's not very kind. It's not a very neighborly contest. Well, it's a contest. There's a competition. All right. There can, there can be only one. As they used to say in Highlander, Greg, there can be only one. Also, in our next uh, hour, we are hoping to uh, rejoin a Winnipeg man, young Winnipeg man, who rode his bike across Canada because he wanted to raise awareness uh, of a suicide crisis um, at a First Nation. So uh, where he has completed his journey. He is at the airport getting ready to come home. He just says, if I can get through security, then I'll talk to you guys. That's fantastic. He's in Halifax, correct? Yeah. Riley Nipanak will uh, look forward to. We have our fingers crossed. We, we'd love to catch up with uh, Riley one more time. So in the meantime, uh, Sky, do we have our guest here? Has our guest arrived? I can't tell what you're saying right now. Sorry, I thought you knew my sign language. Not yet. <laughs> okay. No, I, I can't see. Uh, we have a monitor. We used to, in our old building, we had a window between the studio and the control room, so I could see Sky. but now she's just a tiny little blip on this uh, monitor in our studio, so I couldn't quite tell what was uh, what was going on there, well, Sky. That's how Jerry Richardson got his nickname, Behind the Glass Jerry, because he was actually behind glass. That's Bulletproof right. glass that separated us. We could communicate <laughs> via hand signals, and now it's possible, but it's just not as clear. And, like, right now I'm looking at you, Brett, yep. and I see nothing but clear blue Manitoba sky. Yeah. And you're nothing but a shadow. Yeah. I kind of like, like that. It sort of makes me feel like uh, like a Sith Lord. But I can't uh, see your facial expression. I don't know if you're happy with me, unhappy with me. <laughs> there's there's no definition there. You are, are simply just a shadow. You don't need to see my facial expression to know what my facial expression is, Greg. It's always <laughs> resting Brett face. Sometimes there's a hint. <laughs> is that Loren <laughs> McNabb's right voice now. in the background? No, I just want you to guess what my facial expression is right now, given the fact that I've been kicked off the internet, kicked off the phone, kicked off the tie line, and 
someone's Skype calling me now, which I haven't received in about three years. So answer it. See who it is. Put them on. They'll be, I think they'd end up on the air based on the way I have this all set oh, okay. up. Okay. So. Well, maybe don't then. All right. I just, so I'm, an, I'm annoyed. I'm told we have our guest. So I'll just quickly say I, I had hoped to stay up and watch and uh, listen to you, Loren, as, as much as I could for the election show. But 8.30 rolled around. I stayed up all day watching season two of Ted Lasso. And I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It looked like it was going to go late. Uh, turns out I was really wrong about that. Yeah, well, you could have just traded the night like you did August 15th when the election was called in the first place because... Global News is now projecting a liberal minority government. A liberal minority government. So there you have it. We are right back where we started. Whoever would have imagined we could have watched election coverage off the PVR? Status quo, but uh, there's still a lot left to sort out. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joins us now. The master of the digital map. Uh, Lots of comparisons between you and John King last night, David. Well done, friend. Well, thank you so much. I want to say, Loren, wow, fantastic job out there in Montreal with our friend Abigail. Everybody doing a great job. It was a fun night to watch this, even if the results are, you know, I'm looking at my touchscreen right now. I'm I'm still here in my results center because... We got some votes still to count, and uh, it's just remarkable how the color coding on my map is just like the color coding, you know, uh, two years ago. Well, a little let, change let, in Winnipeg. There's a tiny little change in Winnipeg, but that's there's there's not uh, not a lot in, in the rest of the country. Yeah, outside of a few a handful of ridings, not much of a change. Oh. So the prime minister. Oh, what have you got? Breaking news? No, here? no, I was just no, no, no breaking news. Sorry, I've just woken up. When I went to bed. <laughs> Doug A. Olson was leading in Charleswood St. James. Yes. Now I'm looking at it. No, no, wait. Marty Morant still has a 109-vote lead. But here's the thing, and this is one of the stories right across the country, is these mail-in ballots. You guys might have been talking about this. So so Charleswood St. James and Cinnaboy Headingley. I love having to say all that. I'm just going to call it <laughs> Charleswood from now on. Listen, Marty Morant's the incumbent. He's got a 109-vote lead over Doug A. Olson, who used to be the MP for the area. But there are 3,300 uh, as many as 3,300 mail-in ballots. Most of those will have come back. So listen, is, is those mail-in ballots, will they break the same way as the in-person ballots? No. We know this from all the provincial elections we've had in this pandemic in B.C., Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, elsewhere. Conservatives do not like the mail-in ballot. They want to vote in person. They want to see their ballot go in the ballot box. Liberals and New Democrats, they, they don't mind. They'll vote by mail. Sure, no problem. So here we have a riding, Charleswood, with 3,300 mail-in ballots, or at least that many out there. And Marty Morantz has only got a 109-vote lead. And again, I say conservatives don't like the mail-in. My guess is this Marty's not going to go to bed tonight holding this riding, that I think this will be a flip because the trend is generally that progressive voters, liberal or new Democrat, they'll vote by mail. So there's probably many more mail-in ballots for Doug A. Olson than there are for Marty Morantz. They started counting. Let's see, what time is it where you guys are? It's not yet 9 o'clock, right? They start counting 9 a.m. local everywhere in the country. And when they count these mail-in ballots, they're, they're in envelopes. They're opened by hand. They're verified by hand to make sure nobody was voting twice. And then they're counted by hand. That process is going to take a while. They're all in boxes of 500. We're told they can process one box every three hours. So it's not going to be until lunchtime till we're going to see the first results trickle in for the mail-in ballot 
Uh, this is not just this riding. This is all the ridings, but this is this is the riding in, in Winnipeg where, where the difference could be made. I'm just trying to see if there's any others where, um, as I say, I'm touching my touchscreen right now. You know, I'm looking like Winnipeg Center, Lee Gazan, 4,000 vote lead. There's 1,400 mail-in ballots. She's elected. No problem. But again, just down on the, you know, the, the west side, uh, Charleswood, Marty's going to have a nervous day looking at Doug creeping up on him in the mail-in. You still there, Loren? Loren's probably having another coffee. She must be, just like me. Yeah, um, we're having digital uh, issues connecting with Loren. So the Prime Minister didn't take any questions last night. When he does, what do you think the first one fired his way will be, David? I'm not sure. And you know what? I think the only press conference I've seen so far, and I'm a little bit behind my email, I'm just I'm chatting uh, the results all morning, is uh, the only person we're going to see talk today, I think, is Aaron O'Toole. Uh, leaders generally don't take questions on the night of the election. They wait for the next day. But you know what? I think there's some leadership questions for liberals. Um, this is liberals. This is not the rest of the country who will be saying, why did you do this, Justin Trudeau? Um, you know, there are liberals who lost their seats last night. Uh, maybe not in, in Manitoba, but in Atlantic Canada, quite a few liberals lost their seats. And they lost it because Trudeau wanted, you know, this naked power grab to grab a majority. He was up 10, 12 points in the polls in August, and he blew that lead. So liberals are going to be asking their leader, are you sure that you're the right guy to be the leader? So that would be something I think Trudeau's going to get asked about. Same thing for Aaron O'Toole. He had an okay night, won 120 seats. I, I mentioned he picked up seats in Atlanta, Canada, but he really didn't move the whole ball forward. And in his speech last night, he was, you know, he was talking about the next election. And I think there he's trying to ward off any leadership challengers to say, conservatives, we've got to get back to work and get ready for the next election. It's coming pretty soon. David Aiken, we know you got to go. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it, sir. Okay, thanks, guys. Have fun and keep an eye on that uh, Charleswood riding. It's going to be a fun one all day long. Global's chief political correspondent, <laughs> David Aiken, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Oh, is that the voice of Loren McNabb? Uh, I was laughing through all that. I don't know what's going on here. It's probably just because I'm too tired to figure out all the buttons here. But I was picturing him. I wanted to ask, like, did they roll you in a cot into the results room last night? <laughs> Well, you know, like he's like he just woke up. Yo, I'm ready to rock. I'm I'm pumped. I'm as excited as I was a, a night ago. He's all fired up with all this energy. I can't even move my feet from cross my legs this morning. I'm so tired, and I feel like he slept there. All right, here we go. Backyard Bullseye with Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. And I think we've got both on the line, Greg Mackling. But yes, indeed, 680 CJOB and Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing want you to bring to win big by playing Backyard Bullseye. Here's how it's going down. Every day on the start right through until October 1st, you get to take your shot at guessing the secret Backyard Bullseye number. It lies between 1 and 680. And by the end of the week... The caller, who is closest to the bullseye number, is one of two qualifiers to win the amazing backyard package worth $5,000 from Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. Choose wisely, so if you hit the bullseye with your guest, you will instantly become the qualifier for the week. On Monday, October 4th, the start, that's us, we'll have both qualifiers on for one final round of backyard bullseye, and then the winner, who guesses closest to the bullseye number, wins. So... The package also includes installation. That comes with a caveat. Your home's got to be within 15 kilometers of the city center, so that includes places immediately out of town. Shauna was our first qualifier yesterday. 
and guess the number 577. She did not hit the bullseye, so she goes on the fence. So now our next qualifier has a chance to replace her, to usurp her. Shauna, are you there? I am. All right. So you are now qualifier number one on the fence, and we're going to see if Tara can get a little closer. So you ready for this? Yep. All right. (laughs) Tara, are you there? I am there. Okay. So you guess <laughs> your guess is between 1 and 680. What is your guess? I'm going to go with guess? the number of the beast, 666. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Oh my. Just going straight to the dark side. That's right. <laughs> well, your, t- the, your temptation has led you astray. You are it not has. closer to the bullseye. Come on, Brett. <laughs> Now there's negotiations going on. Come on, Brett. It must be closer. Isn't that what you do with making? Are you looking for us to make a deal with the devil here, Tara? Of course. Every day is a deal with the devil. (laughs) I love it. Tara, I'm. Thank you for the humor, but you are not. uh, You you do not take over Shauna's spot. Okay, you guys. We'll try again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, though, Tara. That was great. That was fun. Shauna. I'm concerned. Yeah. How do you feel? Still You're there. still in the fence. Yeah. I'm actually quite shocked. I didn't think I would be. Oh, really? <laughs> Why? I, well, because I picked high, so I figured the next person would pick maybe a little bit lower. So. Well, there you go. You might want to build a little bit of a platform up there. You might yeah. want to get some sleep up on that fence <laughs> okay, tonight. Okay. Yeah, because we we have you know we don't know where you know you no. we, we know what I mean I guess I do know but, but I can't tell you how close you are to the bullseye just I that you did not know. hit the bullseye you don't I, did we did we get told this yeah oh you know me <laughs> well, the good thing you don't know that's what I'm going to say <laughs> okay so Shauna uh, maybe we'll call you again tomorrow does that work yeah. Okay, so Shauna remains on the fence for Backyard Bullseye with Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing after Tara took her shot with the number of the beast. Hey, Shauna, if you're going to be on the show all week, you you need to book some guests for us. I'll send you an email on uh, how that works, okay? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we got a $20 gift certificate to give away for Santa Lucia Pizza. We're asking you to tell us a story about sleeping in, whether it's like you slept in and you missed something or you just couldn't believe how long you slept, like Crystal telling us how she slept for 22 hours when she was a teenager. Way to go, Crystal. Or listen to this listener. This is a listener right after my, my own heart, and his name is Brett. He says, I remember one time... I slept in so late that I missed a CJOB contest to write in my story about sleeping in. <laughs> Bada boom. Shred on Brett. Loren, do you see Joel's text? Oh, do I see anything this morning? That's the bigger question. Yes. Joel says, I'm one of those people who have six alarms each morning. This guy's also after your own heart, Brett. Yep. The worst part is, Joel says, that I my sleeping brain has become so smart that it figured out how to just hold the power button and shut the phone off. I ended up getting an app called I Can't Wake Up. Now I still have six alarms just in case, but I'm forced to do math problems, repeat a pattern, or shake the phone enough to satisfy the alarm before it shuts off. Odd, 
Yes, Joel says, but definitely a game changer. That's crazy. And those things are brilliant. Like there are alarms that you can get where you have to uh, get up and like you, you put this thing on your wall, I think, in the kitchen and you have to get out of bed and like punch in a code <laughs> to unlock it to then be able to disable your alarm. So it's meant to, to agitate your brain enough to because I like you will. I'll get up and, and still be asleep and turn Why the phone this- off. Uh, we wanted to get you that one that rolls away. Yeah, right? those, yeah. like the hoverboard. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to get you the one like, oh, there it goes down the hey. hall. Brett's up chasing it. And he'd just be cursing us every single morning. Yeah, That sounds like fun. Um, that would actually be a good party uh, trick. Or bar- like just bring that out and set the alarm for it and see where it goes. But uh, Buy your Roomba instead. <laughs> stick a clock on it. Uh, Greg, you liked Tim's text. I did. Tim's is unfortunately a runner-up today. I've only slept in once, but I actually slept through not one, but two fire alarms in my mother's apartment. They evacuated the building twice in one night. I heard the bells and siren. I was dreaming that I was getting pulled over by the police. <laughs> so the alarm was heard by Tim. He processed it differently, differently and just slept through uh, both the, both the oh alarms. Boy. But DJ uh, is our winner today. Congratulations, DJ. And kind of similar here because DJ says in 95-96 at a trade show in Edmonton, all the company reps and our boss stayed at the same hotel. After setting up for the show, we had a free day. So as we partied night before... And we were up after like two or three hours of sleep. I opted for sleep at 10.30 a.m. About 4 p.m., called my boss, asked if we had plans for supper. We met in the lobby, lobby, and everyone was talking about why the fire alarms kept going off. They had evacuated the hotel, the entire hotel, three times. And I never woke up once. My coworkers figured I went shopping <laughs> or went to visit my relatives when they didn't see me come out. <laughs> DJ, congratulations. Tim, sorry, man. Uh, just a little more detail and uh, three sleep throughs the alarm instead of two. So you've been taught. Oh, I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One up, classic one upper, DJ. <laughs> Way to go, DJ. You get the pizza. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.